So, thank you for that. I tend to hate introductions because they tend to be embarrassing, but that was all right. Um, but I, am, I like giving talks, so I'm happy to be here. When I agreed, I got something through the email with some very wise suggestions for this talk. And the main suggestion was keep it really simple. You can have four points. Four points. Three or four points. So I thought, OK, I'll start just by telling you my four points. Then if you do need to leave early and go shopping or whatever, you have at least got the four points. And then I'll unpack them a little bit. And then I'll remind you what they are to conclude. It's a very simple talk. The four points are, first of all, we live right now in extraordinary times. Second, we need, each of us individually, to rise to the challenge of our times. Thirdly, to do that, we need to make something of ourselves. And there's a million ways we can do that by following a million different paths and teachings and uh, drawing on the wisdom of the ages. But all these paths and traditions need to have something in common just because we are human and our minds are a certain way and the world is a certain way. So we can look at all the paths and traditions and wisdom of the world from that point of view. Does it work for us as humans? Obviously, Pagan Shaman Buddha is the title of this talk, and that kind of really says a lot about the path for me, but I'll come back to that. And last of all, why bother? Why uh, make something of ourselves? To become capable of compassionate action. That's what it's all about for me, so that we can act for the welfare of the world. It's what the world needs, I think. So those are my four points. We live in extraordinary times. We need to rise to the challenge of the times, make something of ourselves. We can do that in many, many ways, but they need to have something in common because we are all humans and all on the same planet. And we need to do that so we can become capable of compassionate action. Hey, so if you need to leave now, feel free, that's fine. Four points. Um, we live in extraordinary times for in quite a number of ways. Uh, I really think, you know, if you look at previous generations in human history, they have not lived in times like this. And that's true. There's many reasons that's the case. One is they are times which are dangerous. They really are. There's a genuine chance the human race could uh, blow itself up or make the planet uninhabitable or whatever. Uh, they're dangerous times. There's climate change. There's economic meltdown. There's the extinction of many, many species going on. Uh, there's the, always the danger of war. It is genuinely dangerous times. Also, they are times of change. The world is changing ever so quickly, faster and faster and faster. And in most generations of life, uh, you got born and then you died, and the world was much the same between your birth and your death. It didn't change all that much. But I've got two children... And that I can just see them growing up with a different mindset to me. And I grew up with a different mindset to my parents. It really is changing so quickly. And uh, partly because of that, we live in uncertain times. I think for a lot of us, at the back of our minds, we just don't quite know what's going to happen. So they're uncertain times. But also, buried in all that, maybe not even buried, they're times of opportunity. I personally love living in these times right now because there are so many opportunities in these times. One opportunity is that we have so much wealth of knowledge available to us. 
uh, all the wisdom of all the ages is just there. You just Google it. You know, you want to know about something, Google it. And you still have to do the reading and the reflecting, but it's all there. It's extraordinary. Most people, they got born into a certain culture in a certain place, and all they got was that little bit of local knowledge or local tradition which they had to live with. might be Christianity, might be Buddhism, whatever. We have extraordinary wealth available to us. And all those things are kind of bumping into each other. So they're times of extraordinary reappraisal, where you can't take anything for granted. It's very true of Buddhism, I think, uh, which is my tradition, obviously. The Buddhist tradition is bumping into uh, all the different aspects of the Buddhist tradition. And all the traditional Buddhists around the world are really having to ask themselves, well, what is Buddhism? It's not quite how I do it. It's more than that. And they're having to bump into the modern world and having to ask themselves, does my traditional practices work anymore? What to do? So there are times of uh, re-evaluation and questioning and also times of recombining, you know, different things from different places. So there are times where new things may arise. Who knows? I hope so. Um, Another reason there are times of danger, coming back to us again, is that we kind of get overwhelmed. It's all so changeable and it's all so uncertain and there's so many choices. We kind of do nothing. We just put our heads down and, you know, go shopping or watch TV or something. And I think um, I love living in these times, but my fear is summed up in a couple of words of a poet, uh, Yeats. Uh, the poem's called The Second Coming, and he says... Um, what does he say? Um, I haven't written it down. I've got to remember these words. He says, um, The best, that's right, the best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. The best lack all conviction. They don't quite know what to do. They're just sort of overwhelmed. While the worst, fundamentalists, extremists, whatever, are full of passionate intensity. Anyway, they are extraordinary times, I think, of danger, uncertainty and opportunity. Um, So we, moving on to my second point, we just need to rise to the challenge of these times. The reason is so, so that we can be of benefit to the world. I'm anticipating my conclusion a bit, but the world needs us, I think. It needs good people who are just willing to get out there and act to make a difference to the world. And this is what, for me, makes a life worth living. It's nothing to do with consumerism or anything like that. It's not even to do with, um, you know, giving birth to the, to the next generation. It's to do with benefiting the world. And I think making the difference in that way can happen in a million different ways and on any scale. It's not like we all have to become heroes. We just have to make a difference to some degree in the lives we happen to be living And rising to the challenge in this way, for me, is nothing to do with becoming religious or becoming spiritual or becoming Buddhist or anything like that. They're almost words that um, put me off slightly. You know, religious, spiritual. Um, I get more excited by words like activism, uh, when you know you're going to get out there and do something. 
but then they they rise into the challenge is is making ourselves capable of compassionate action where we can take ourselves and just kind of go out into the world with awareness with kindness with clarity and with energy so that we can uh, do whatever we choose to do and make a difference but to do that i think will take for each of us some degree of training or preparation if you just kind of get up and go out to do something you're quite likely to kind of make a muddle of things um what do they say the world to the road to hell is paved with good intentions so i believe quite strongly that uh, we need to train ourselves um and the buddhist word for meditation and a lot of our uh, techniques is actually practice we need to practice to acquire those skills for me meditation is very like a musician who has to practice every single day to master their uh, instrument so we need to practice to kind of make something of ourselves and that happens on many different levels but which I'll come to a bit more in the next point but buddhism for me is a path of training it's a path of training uh where we train our mind that's the first place but we train our body we train our kind of habits it's a path of ethics and we also train our how can i put it our capacity for relationship in the world so in all these ways our mind our ethics our relationships we just kind of make something of ourselves so we can act and um one thing i like about buddhism in a way i don't know so much about other uh, spiritual paths is buddhism speaks of total transformation it kind of takes the person the whole person in all their different levels and all their different areas of life and asks us to look at them all so if you know anything about buddhism you probably heard of the eightfold path it's just a list really of eight areas of life i'm not going to go into them it's just an example of total transformation yeah and the alternative to that um is we lead a different sort of life where we're not really making anything of ourselves and we're not really trying to train ourselves we're just kind of going along and the world is also full of opportunities to do that today there are so many things you can buy and so many movies you can watch and so many places you can visit you know blah 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 but it kind of boils down to consumerism which for me is a kind of laziness it's probably very good for the economy it keeps it all the money going round and round and the goods going round and round but it's not really what life is about at all for me so the third thing is that we if we're going to train ourselves we need to adopt some means or other to do that i personally chose buddhism a while back but uh i think i just have a personal love of diversity and variety and almost nosiness i kind of love knowing who's doing what and how they're doing it so a few years ago i went to live in glastonbury and if any of you know glastonbury you'll know it's a complete melting pot it's like every single one of the world's spiritual traditions has wound up there and somebody's doing it whatever it is uh and and i i went there because i love that kind of variety and i think i love it i genuinely love it but i also love it in a critical way it's not like i think they're all right 
And I certainly don't think all is one, but I love just knowing you know, what is going on out in the world. So one thing about our times is it has got this incredible diversity of opportunity, of, of practice, spiritual practice, of making something of ourselves. All the world religions, all these different therapies, all this wisdom, etc. But I, uh, honestly, all is not one to me. Some of them work and some of them don't. There's a phrase, uh, all roads lead to Rome. You probably know it. But it's just not true. All roads <laughs> do not lead to Rome. I, I arrived here on the um, M6, which definitely doesn't lead to Rome. <laughs> it leads to Manchester. Even if you go the other way, it stops in um, Birmingham or somewhere. So, all roads do not lead to Rome. But at the same time, uh, most, pretty much all, most of the world's spiritual paths contain something of value. Great, they do. And I'm reminded of a parable from the Buddhist tradition of the blind men and the elephant. You may know this. Uh, I'll just tell you briefly. There was a, a king who thought it would be a joke to gather together a group of blind men and show them an elephant. So he did. I guess if you're a king, you can do what you want. So he did. And he asked all these people to describe the elephant. So they all went up to it and they all touched it and they all felt it. And one by one they described it, but in completely different ways. One said it's like a tree trunk. He was feeling the leg. One said it's like a, a big basket, feeling the um, ear. One said it's like a rock, just the body, etc., etc. And apparently they all um, described it and all started arguing with each other and fighting. And the king thought it was a joke. But the point is, they were all true. They, all, they were all describing something which was true, but not the whole truth. They all had a bit of the truth. And I think that's true of, you know, so many things in the world today. We all have something, but not quite the whole thing. Um, and one reason the three words of my title, Pagan Shaman Buddha, kind of speak to me so personally, is they're three very different words from three very different traditions. But they all have something of real value to offer us, I think. So what I want to do now is just unpack a bit what they say to me, the pagan shaman and Buddha. Yeah. So the first one, paganism. Um, I should say, uh, I don't pretend to be an expert in any of these, actually. But what pagan... So, so I hope I'm not offending any authentic pagans who might be here, or shamans, or even Buddhists. Um, there are three words that really speak to me. So paganism, for me, the word literally means of the country, paganus, countryside. And for me, paganism is our relationship with the land, the land, the environment, where we live. Even if you live in Manchester, you know, underneath the concrete is the land. Uh, we just all live on planet Earth, in the environment, you know, with some relationship or other to the land. And for me, that's just a starting point. Unless our relationship with the land is healthy, our capacity to do anything else just won't really work. So broadening a bit out from that, uh, paganism, for me, is a kind of natural morality, and just a natural, healthy, human way to live. It's a reverence for life. It's a reverence for nature. 
It's an awareness of our total interconnection with nature, our dependence, quite frankly, on nature. It's a gratitude for that, for all that we're given from nature. Even if you go shopping in Tesco's entirely, you know, ultimately, it all comes from uh, the land. I went there today, actually, and bought a sandwich. So my egg and cress sandwich, tracing it back off the supermarket shelf, comes from the land, ultimately. But also, uh, paganism, for me, is an honouring of diversity, honouring of biodiversity. Just all life has value. Coming out of that, living lightly on the land. You know, not being afraid to live, not being afraid to eat, not feeling guilty about it, but just living lightly. Being aware of uh, the consequences of our actions as we do this or do that. Also, for me, and I think this is true of real pagans, uh, they celebrate life. They take delight in being alive. Um, and, and sort of take delight in taking part in the cycles of life, day and night, summer and winter, birth and death. They're all cycles. And, you know, the world goes round. And uh, part of paganism for me is just being rooted in all, <coughs> in all that. Also, actually, it's, um, it's a kind of acceptance and celebration of um, the whole business of making life, you know, uh, Birds and bees, boy meets girl, birth and death. Uh, just that's, you know, that's, that's what happens, that's what's necessary. And just celebrating it. So paganism for me is just very much a starting point. And all those different qualities, reverence, gratitude, sensitivity, living lightly. And I would kind of put them under the heading of a word that might not be very popular, but I don't have a problem with it, of ethics. It's how we live. Again, it's a kind of ethics that's nothing to do with being religious or being spiritual. It's more like being aware and being related to uh, the rest of life. Being aware, if you like, that actions have consequences. So every action we take has consequences, which kind of ripple out across the world. And then living you know, with, with awareness of that. So for me, that's the starting point of paganism, just how we live but, um, and I think if you live like that, you will live a good life. Fantastic. You really will live a good life. And um, probably do a lot less damage to the planet than many of us do if we're out of that relationship. But I don't think living like that exhausts the possibilities of life. And I don't think it's really rising to the challenge fully uh, in the way I talked about in the beginning. Partly because uh, it doesn't directly address the need to make something of our consciousness. You know, my mind. What's going on in my mind? So we, we're probably all very different, but we're all humans. We all have this mysterious thing called human consciousness. And human consciousness is extraordinary. It's capable of the most incredible goodness and the most incredible wickedness. Um, it's got its incredible heights and depths. So the next word, for me, shamanism, is about the exploration of human consciousness in its heights and in its depths, and the transformation of human consciousness in its heights and in its depths. 
And again, I'm not a shaman, and I don't pretend to be an expert in any way on shamanism, but that's what the word says to me. It says, go into your mind and really explore uh, the variety of your mind. And you'll start discovering all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you meditate, you've probably started doing that already. Or, or if you do something else in that area. Um, and it's quite humbling, because you start discovering you're not quite as nice as you thought you were. But hopefully, ultimately, uh, you, it's, it's empowering, because you start discovering you're more than you might have thought you were. You know, you discover your shadow, your anima, your animus. You enter the whole territory of alchemy, a kind of mysterious transformations. There's the, the unconscious, there's all your repressed stuff. Um, there's the world of visions and kind of myths and archetypes. Um, in shamanism, they speak about the upper world and the lower world uh, and the middle world. And I like that because it just acknowledges our heights and our depths and the need to function in the middle. So, um, through doing all that, quite a journey of uh, discovery, but you end up, hopefully, with a consciousness that's just more self-aware and more integrated. You've taken all that stuff that's in you, which you've kind of inherited from your past, and you've, you've integrated it so that you can go forwards much more kind of wholeheartedly and able to see it through. You're not so blown about by your stuff, whatever it might be. You can kind of make a plan and see it through. There's a kind of maturity in there, born of uh, self-knowledge and integration. It's also the territory for me of healing. So I don't quite like the language of being wounded and healing, but it, you know we do have all kinds of scars and bruises and wounds and stuff you know, from the past. So it is also the territory of healing. Um, and I do think these days something about our society is sick. Actually, it has lost its way. It just doesn't quite know what it's about. Um, it's all up in the air and there's no real clarity. So there is something a little bit, a sort of sickness of spirit in our society. So I think through this journey, quote, shamanic journey, there's a kind of healing that's possible. Yeah. But I think that's also necessary to equip us to go forward into action. Hmm. Then the third, oh, I think one thing about this is that through that humility that I mentioned a while ago of discovering our stuff, you just develop a much, much greater capacity for empathy with other people because you're not putting yourself on any kind of pedestal anymore. You just know you are not a saint. And you can just sort of relate to people so much more simply or authentically or humbly because you, you know, there's no pretensions anymore. Interestingly, um, slight diversion, uh, I was with a friend recently, and he took me to an AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous. First time I'd ever been there, but I just sat in a circle with the others in the group. But I was really impressed by the authenticity of their communication. There was just no pretense in that circle of people that they were anyone special. They all knew they were alcoholics. They all knew, you know each other was, and all that kind of pretense had dropped away. They were just free to communicate as human beings quite authentically and quite humbly. 
I, I find it really um, moving, actually. So the third word is Buddha, pagan shaman Buddha, because I think um, paganism, as I've described it, is great. Shamanism, as I've described it, is great. But Buddha adds another ingredient to this mix. And Buddha, for me, is partly about insight and partly about action. But I'll come back to action at the end. And the insight is just a kind of knowledge about how the world is. This is how the world is. And I'm not talking about being an expert in economics or anything. It's just a kind of uh, insight into the laws of reality. You can't stop them. Uh, things are impermanent. You know, they change. That's a very simple. And we kind of know it, but being becoming a Buddha is just knowing it, is, is becoming that insight. So rather than reading in a book, all things are impermanent, you just know. You're just completely liberated from any... Um, any kind of impulse to lead your life on another basis, if that makes sense. Most of us are busy building things up as security for the future, you know, pension pots and nest eggs and whatever. But things are impermanent. And if you know that, your whole approach to life can change. So the, the word Buddha literally means somebody who has woken up. They've woken up. They can just see clearly how things are and they've turned that into, you know, that's who they are. They don't just see, they embody. So there's a wisdom in there. Uh, in a way, you can say they've become the goal. There's the, they've they've um, become the goal. But also, through that wisdom, is a sort of almost instinctive action. They just go out there and act. So... Um, I want to end by talking about action, actually. And in some ways you could see pagan shaman Buddha as a sequence. You know, first you become a pagan, then you go into your consciousness, then you become a Buddha. But I don't see it like that. I see them, rather than one, two, three, I see them as three legs of a tripod. So all three are necessary to kind of ground you stably on the ground. And as you grow and develop, you don't go from one to the next to the next. You just deepen your, quote, paganism, deepen your, quote, shamanism, and deepen your Buddha nature. And deepening them uh, partly equips you to act in that way. So a pagan acts out of love of life, out of um, awareness of the environment, out of living lightly on the land. A pagan just looks after the land. Fantastic. A shaman acts partly, you know, in this whole journey of healing I talked about, but also just going out to others to help them. Uh, entering into relationship with others, you know, with their stuff, and just doing what you can to help other people uh, become uh, healthy and whole and so on. And then a Buddha acts partly as a, just an embodiment of what we can be, what we can become, and partly as a teacher, again, a kind of wisdom teacher. Um, so all of these, to my mind, uh, end up in action. First of all, they're a way of living or a journey, but they end up in action. And um, I think a kind of healthy life will have all these three in them, and they'll all be expressed in some way in our lives. Uh, also... Uh, we're all individuals 
but we're all part of us, part of a community to some extent. So I don't think any of us could possibly do everything the world needs. It's just completely impossible. And um, what we're looking for is for everybody to kind of, you know, rise to the challenge. But then we form communities, larger or smaller, and this, you know, the Manchester Buddhist Centre, or Triratna, to some extent is a community. So within our community, you get the possibility of all kinds of people doing all kinds of things. So as a whole, we do far more than we ever could alone, if you see what I mean. So my personal thing for some years has been uh, India, doing what I can in India, and also Buddhafield. Buddhafield um, takes a particular delight in doing stuff on the land, as close to the land as possible. But I just wanted to end this talk with mentioning a few of the kind of things we as a community are doing. Partly because you might not have heard of them, and they might be just what you want, and partly they're examples of, um, you know, of these different ways of action. So under the heading paganism, being close to the land, being um, uh, environmentally aware and so on, we have a retreat centre up in the Spanish mountains called Ecodharma, which is pretty much what it says on the tin. It's Dharma, Buddhism, but with an environmental and ecological uh, starting point. And they've launched something called the Sila Network. Sila just means ethics in Buddhism, but it's, it's, it's trying to promote environmentalism for Buddhists. It's trying to get Buddhists, who might not be pagans, as I've mentioned them, just to really see their ethics needs to extend to the environment as well. They need to learn about um, paganism, environmentalism and stuff. Um, Buddhafield, again, just taking a delight in uh, living close to the land. Under the heading of uh, shamanism, uh, there's a whole territory of body and mind and health and healing and so on. Uh, in Manchester, I think, there's a project called Bodywise, which is just all sorts of uh, therapists and counsellors and, quote, healers, you know, doing what they can for the people who come. Fantastic. Under the heading of Buddha, uh, I put uh, a charity I'm a trustee of called Karuna. Karuna is a Buddhist word. It means compassionate action based on wisdom. Compassionate action based on wisdom. And it's a particular, it's a fundraising charity. Uh, and it raises about a million, a million and a half a year, which it sends to India. And I think fundraising is an extraordinary spiritual practice because it really puts you on the front line of standing up for what you believe in and meeting other people uh, in a very spacious kind of way and just seeing if they share your ideals. And if they do, they might give you some money. Fantastic. So uh, we are exploring fundraising it really is a spiritual practice. And Karen has managed to find 8,000 regular donors. It's fantastic. Who all share that kind of aspiration to make a difference in India. And it's found them all by literally meeting them on doorsteps and having a little conversation. And lo and behold, uh, 8,000 people have signed up. They probably knocked on 800,000 doors. I don't know, at least 80,000. So there's quite a spiritual practice uh, learning to put yourself out there, say what matters to you, and take no for an answer. Yes. <coughs> and do it all again on the next door with a complete fresh approach. Um, so that's just a few projects that we do, which hopefully kind of 
you know, some little examples of rising to the challenge of our times. I think uh, each of us, you know, will find our own way forward. But for me, these three words, pagan, shame and Buddha, just point to three areas of life. That whatever specific path or teachings we follow, we need to find some relationship with the with what I've called paganism, meaning our relationship with the land, with what I've called shamanism, meaning our personal transformation of consciousness, and with what I've called Buddhism, which just means a wisdom of how things are and the ability to act based on that. And I hope that we're giving birth in Triratna, even around Manchester, just to more and more concrete projects that um, you know embody those things. And what I hope is they've all got opportunities, you know, for new people to get involved with them if they want to. Uh, Hopefully they do, because the world really is a big, big place. And we really do live, I think, in difficult, dangerous, extraordinary times, which really does need each of us, you know, to, to rise to that, make something of ourselves, and then find our contribution, whatever it is. Thank you very much.